Welcome into the Sports Objective. Very special night as we have a good friend of ours on, David Glenn. Uh, first of all, want to bring in Kyle from Grange Barber. How are you, man? What's going on, guys? As we sit here in uh, Mars, of course, what everybody wants to talk about as we as we get ready, as we hit into WrestleMania season. That's right. DG's a huge wrestling fan. We can talk uh, life, anything with David Glenn, of course, the athletic, formerly of the David Glenn Show, and hopefully we can get some breaking news at some point about his next adventure. We'll talk about that and much more. How are you, sir? I am doing great, gentlemen. Good to be with you again. Uh, yeah, I would love to get your crystal ball out and uh, and be able to talk about that everything's going to go perfect with the tournament. I know you've done you've been up all up all hours of the night uh, getting prepared for the tournament, knowing how many positives there are, and of course. Uh, I know that that's not the case that uh, with the COVID world we live in, I always talk about it's a pencil world now and not the pen, inked and pen anymore. That's so true. And I don't have all the numbers, but I can tell you that after almost 10,000 tests in the Indianapolis area, the number of positives was in single digits. Like eight, right? So that's really, really good, at least at the start. Of course, the ACC tournament also started well and, uh, had to have some vacated games that led to buys. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, no matter which teams you're rooting for, when I see people work their tails off for four months or five months and you get to what is basically the promised land of your sport, college basketball, the last thing I want to see is anybody sent home because of contact tracing. So made the best team win. And this year we just have to keep our fingers crossed that you know all the teams are just – they have enough healthy bodies to play. You know, one thing I wonder about, DG, we're in most here in North Carolina, we're, we're at level four right now for vaccinations, and level five means everybody. Um, so I would imagine other states are very similar. Could we not allocate enough vaccines for the for, for the NCAA tournament? And, and uh, you know, of course, it would still be left up to the players, but I imagine most people would have went ahead and got them. I think so. Maybe the NCAA, the timing is so delicate, right? Because if you just go back several weeks, there was not an overflow of vaccines. And the way I understand the greatest protection of your vaccine takes a few weeks to really kick in after, for example, your second dose in the ones that require two doses. So it's not it goes in your arm and the next day you're bionic and you know less vulnerable. There is a gap. And I think the NCAA probably, which loses so many public relations battles and is so often painted as the bad guy, I think at a time when vaccines were slower rolling out to ask for special treatment, I think would have been a controversial topic and they would have had to ask for it far enough ago. It would have been, what, early February when there just was not this level of vaccine available yeah, we, so it's easier said than done i guess is the bottom line we need to that johnson and johnson vaccine to come out about a month earlier because as soon as that hit the market everybody wants to wait for it nah, we'll wait for the one shot my wife already's no gotten that one i'm i'm one into the two dose version my wife's one and done she's ready to go yeah well regardless whoever the bottom line is the johnson and johnson uh, with the uh, Pfizer, with the Moderna, I, wait, I know way too much about uh, COVID. I want to learn about something else, my friend, uh, with my day job. And uh, and I'm really tired. I would love to talk sports without talking COVID-19 with you. And I can't wait to that 
that moment. Um, having said all that, um, I do know for a fact that the East Carolina athletes are getting, and all the staff have been getting their shots at the Greenville Convention Center with uh, Viden and with all the entities there, the city of Greenville. Uh, that's one thing I'll say. Government has worked very well together, which normally I am not a pro-government guy, <laughs> but uh, they actually have done a nice job together. As uh, one ECU guy that you know actually very well uh, said it best is that the very fact that is that we have uh, Disney has nothing on on the convention center how smoothly when he got in and out very quick and so anybody that says that it's better than Disney I said hey man that's a huge compliment hey once you start seeing the Chick-fil-A drive-through analogies that's another good sign right exactly that's about as well oiled a machine as you'll see in the fast food world so shout out to Chick-fil-A and shout out to the state governments that took a while but they're getting it right now and DG, by the way, we have uh, for those that want to put up comments for DG questions, uh, you can do that on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And we have Richard Allsbrook who uh, is chiming in. He said, a "Great guest. I missed the DG radio show. My daughter Julia was one of David's interns. Intern Julia, I remember her. She was an outstanding intern. Uh, no doubt. I tell you one thing, uh, DG. Very happy with the baseball team with East Carolina. Tough night down in Wilmington last night." Um, but Pirate fans, I just want to tell them while we have a live show, um, there are 56 ball games, And as you know, being a, a pitcher, David, uh, you're not going to win every single game. Um, I can't imagine a team to go 56 and 0 in baseball. That's unheard of. And um, yes, the problem is, is that unfortunately it was Wilmington, uh, a huge rival team. And uh, that's the one that last year, of course, the circumstances were it's a walk off. And the next thing you know, your season's ending. Well, let's the NC State line, David. It's pretty simple. We're, we're a top 10 baseball team right now. We're number nine in the country. And uh, to quote our friends in Raleigh, it's their Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we'll, I've heard turn, that one before. Yeah, hey, turn, hey, turn. It's funny. When you talk about that matchup, I'm teaching at UNC Wilmington now. So they've given me all this Seahawks gear. I'm also, of course, a parent of an ECU student. So we've been a member of Pirate Nation for four years. I just visited my son in Greenville just yesterday. So I've got plenty of Pirate gear, too. So I'm not even sure. I guess I straddle the fence when those two get together. But it is fun to see ECU, regardless of the single games turnout, as you said, Dave. This has been a, a down year for our state in men's basketball. And it is not going to be a down year for our state in baseball. So as we're in the process of making that transition, three teams from our state in the big bracket is embarrassingly low. The lowest I've ever seen is two, and that almost never happens. So, of course, Duke didn't make it this year. App State came out of nowhere to win the Sun Belt. UNC Greensboro has been very good under West Miller, so they're in. And the Tar Heels, of course, made it. But only one team from our state representing the ACC. That's incredibly rare. And, and when you turn the page to college baseball, ECU is really good. Carolina's pretty good. NC State is pretty good. Duke is pretty good. Wake is solid and others. So there are going to be times where I think we have six teams in our state in the baseball top 25, and I think that's already happened. Yeah, we could have we could have an insane amount come regional time when you when you factor in Wilmington potentially winning the Colonial, Charlotte could win Conference USA this year. They're good. I mean, it, it could be a ridiculous amount of teams in regionals 
um, come uh, come June. No, no, everybody says it's a basketball state. David, can we say it's a baseball state now with a uh, with a, a down year this it's year right now? I, I've always thought we're a baseball state in large part, and especially where y'all are located. If you go east of I ninety five, I mean, we're such a big, beautiful, diverse state that I learned with my statewide show over eleven years what people wake up thinking about near the Tennessee border is often different than what people wake up thinking about in the sports world near the Atlantic ocean. It's not like we're just one monolithic 10, you know, 11 million people or whatever we are in North Carolina. So I have noticed over the years, for example, that, you know, the hurricanes in hockey have an incredibly strong following in the triangle, but not so much in other parts of the state to varying degrees. And, you know, App State, of course, has the most fans out west. And ECU has the most fans in the east. And in terms of culturally, sports-wise, eastern North Carolina was a hotbed of baseball when I got to North Carolina in the late 1980s. It still is today. And given that our state doesn't have a major league baseball team, the way we have an NBA team and an NHL team and an NFL team and NASCAR and pro golf and other things, I think the spirit for college baseball and to a degree, the spirit behind high school baseball is really, really, really strong here. Even if we don't have, you know, a single major league team to, to root for, uh, there's a whole lot of fans of the Orioles or the nationals or the Braves, obviously. Um, maybe someday we'll kind of complete the sweep and have uh, a major league baseball team here as well. We have the MLS on the way. So we've got almost yeah. all the biggies. But uh, culturally, we are a great baseball state, and you see that every year when there's the professional draft. Our high schools and our colleges pump a lot of talent into pro baseball. And, G.G., uh, by the way, you remember the commission a few years ago has Charlotte uh, with expansion. Of course, they got to deal with, and we'll move on to – we have a question for you, so I will move on to basketball, college yes, basketball. Yes, can you all hear me? Yep, we can hear you fine. Okay, I, I I got interrupted here. I'm doing this on my phone, and I had got a phone call. So, oh, okay, yeah, we're glad you're back. With us for doing a live show, um, DG. As far as uh, they have Charlotte, I know uh, Mexico City, Montreal. There was a uh, three cities that he mentioned. Yeah, uh, Rob Manfred did, and uh, obviously they're going to pick two cities uh, for expansion. But of course, as you know, Tampa Bay and Oakland. Uh, with their uh, stadium situations, he said they had to handle that first. I think that was like maybe three years ago. He said it would probably be like more like a, a decade before they could really look at expansion for two teams. Um, and I feel certain based on listening to the David Glenn show uh, with population that Charlotte is a not only exploding with population, but if you look at the, as you talked about before, so I'll give you credit for it, it's not me, but the geography fits perfect for Charlotte to get the team. It does, and there's a lot of baseball fans there. I know people in the triad have always said, hey, just give us a Major League Baseball team somewhere here in the Greensboro area. And that way all those, you know, the, the multi-million population of the Charlotte area can drive north and see, and the multi-million population of the triangle can drive west to see. Uh, I don't think it'll work out that way. Uh, and, and it's a shame that the timetable is much longer because – when the Charlotte Knights, which are one of the best AAA franchises in the whole country, no exaggeration, the Durham Bulls and the Charlotte Knights are two of the best, most beautiful minor league stadiums in the country, period. And it's a shame that 
when they built that downtown ball, or they call it uptown Charlotte, that when they built that ballpark for the Knights, if the timing had been just a little bit better, it's hard to get that kind of acreage in the, in the downtown slash uptown area right. of a major top 25 city like Charlotte. So what they got is plenty good for AAA, but they would need a different stadium for Major League Baseball, and that's going to take a whole lot of money and political willpower and taxpayer support. And I don't know when or if that's going to happen, um, but it's, it's fun to think about because it feels like we have virtually everything else that there is to enjoy in the sports world. Yeah, as Dave, you, or DG, you mentioned uh... – Carolina Hurricanes, funny story real fast. Um, talking about different people that are part of the states, and they're following in Raleigh versus the rest of the state. Uh, my wife and I have a really close friend, uh, young female in her late twenties. We went to one of her friends' house, another young female in her late twenties, uh, down in Moorhead, a few weeks back. And uh, we walk in, you know, just twenty-some-year-old girl living by herself, and, you, and there's Hurricanes memorabilia all over her house, and. Uh, just not something you expect. I asked her how she became a Hurricanes fan, living in Moorhead, being a single girl, just just loves hockey. So it's kind of weird how, uh, particularly, she grew up with it. We're, we're, we're in the first generation now of people in their 20s that grew up with the Carolina Hurricanes being in North Carolina. So just interesting, I thought. Yeah, true. And remember when the Canes first transplanted from the old Hartford Whalers to here, because the arena in Raleigh was not ready yet. Right. They played in Greensboro in those early years. And there We're are two a years. lot of – right. There, even though that is probably a 90-minute drive in each direction, there are to this day a lot of Canes fans in the triad where, you know, it's hard to be a season ticket holder, I would imagine. That's a whole lot of back and forth. Uh, but, yeah, I know North Carolinians, North Carolinians who live at the beach. Uh, I know Caniacs in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. So it's been fun to see. You're exactly right. There's an audience that did not exist 15 to 20 years ago for the Canes that does exist as uh, the, the next generation comes up. And they're just used to hockey in a way that we were, you know, thrilled and but also shocked to get it 20 plus years ago. And the fact, uh, DG, the very fact that it comes down to one thing is putting a winning product on ice uh, with the, the Canes doing very well, the new ownership. Um, things are going, you, there was a nine year drought. You know, I talk to pirate fans all the time with, uh, coach Mike Houston. I said, please give him a chance. I said, you know why? Because if you're a Canes fan, you went nine years without the playoffs, nine long years that some of our friends, including yourself, you have to talk about a hockey team that is not even making the playoffs when half the teams make the playoffs. And with Raleigh being such a, a great metropolitan area with a triangle, and you have the fan support, but if you're those of us who live an hour and a half away from Raleigh, uh, speaking, I live an hour and a half east of Raleigh. Um, it's hard to to go to a game and spend the money, and you have children, and they have school the next day, and all those kind of things. And then you're going to go up there, and uh, and the team's going to lose. I mean, you know the chance. So uh, I know that doesn't sound like I'm a great fan, but it's the cost of it, the financial piece of things is uh, a biggie, and the time the time spent to and from the arena. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, you know, I had a triangle specific show for about a decade before we went statewide. And when we were triangle specific, you had to talk about the Canes, whether they were good or bad or in between, because you were in the triangle. One of the nice things about the statewide show was if the Canes were down, you just talked about them a little bit less. 
because maybe the Panthers were up or maybe ECU had a great year or App State had a great year or the Tar Heels or the Blue Devils were great or whatever. We're such a big, diverse state that that it was easier to sort of deal with those long canes droughts with a statewide show than it was when I was on only in the triangle, because that's that's a whole set of different circumstances and a very different audience. And there were times where you're kind of looking for things to talk about with the Canes because everybody gets tired of talking about losing. DJ, I'll tell you something nobody's talking about and it's going to put to get, I think it's going to put to bed what has been a stupid discussion, a stupid suggestion for people over the last 10 to 15 years. Nobody's watching FCS football or paying any attention right now. Like, with the apologies to the fans of those particular schools, it's not on TV anywhere. You can't find it. It's on ESPN Plus at best, uh, or or stuff I don't even know what it is. Pluto. What is Pluto? I've seen some games from Pluto, <laughs> not the former planet. So that rest the discussion of moving FCS and so-called Group of Five football to the spring for additional exposure, because guess what? It ain't getting no exposure. Nobody, I, I guarantee you, there's somebody out there listening right now that, that just realized with me saying this, that FCS football's going on. And high school football to boot. You're right. There's, there's a bunch of big decisions that have to be made because unless the football, the FBS playoff expands, there are people who believe that the those beyond the Power Five should have their own playoff to generate attention and interest. And then there's the other, you know, move it to the spring. You have different competition, but the, you know, the almighty sport in this country is the National Football League. And right. college football in this state and much of the country is, is right there in the top three, sometimes second. So it, your point is well taken. If, if you can avoid being in the same portion of the calendar as those two super heavyweights, you still have to deal with college basketball and the NBA and the NHL in the spring, obviously, but it, it's a conversation worth having. And now that they're trying it right now, I think it becomes a more realistic conversation for down the road because they know what it feels like and tastes like and, and sounds like, and, and maybe they'll learn something about whatever level of attention they'll be able to get from TV partners and fans too. I think it's a conversation not worth having the other way around. I think this proves nobody, nobody's going to pay it any attention. So, I mean, I, I think I think if you take so-called group of five football and FCS football away from the fall, what you're doing is taking away part of your audience that's going to watch Power Five football. Because I'm going to tell you something. If East Carolina's playing in the spring, I'm not going to watch Alabama um, or UNC or anybody else. And you, you're taking – because even though we're a part of it, even though we're technically not a part of it, we, we're still a part of it. Yeah. And when you, when you separate us – is a huge mistake. And uh, I, I think right now, like I say, it, you know, it goes to show nobody's paying any attention. Nobody's watching FCS football. So I, I think it, uh, I think you should end those discussions, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll see. Well, they're, they're drawing conclusions as we speak because they're going to find out if more people were watching and they're going to find out if it hurts recruiting. And so instead of it being a hypothetical conversation, it's now a real conversation and they're getting some data back. And, and we all know this, most people are creatures of habit. And one of the most stressful things going on among sports executives and TV executives right now is how the pandemic changed human habits. Because there are people who took whatever out of their routine, whether that's 
going to Dowdy Ficklin or Carter Finley or Keenan Stadium, you know, X number of times every fall, rather than talking about whether or not they would miss it, they now know how much they missed something, right? Because sports were taken away from us for six months. And some people aren't going to be as diehard sports fans as they were previously. And some people are going to think twice before they renew an expensive season ticket package. So uh, I think most TV executives hope that people get back to their old habits. But we're learning all the time that younger people are not as enamored in as large numbers with watching sports on TV, for example, as our generation is or those older than we are the way they've done it. So it's fascinating. I mean, something like the NFL and college football is so powerful and so popular at the highest level that they can make mistakes and get away with it. But the, the, less, pro, the less prominent sports or their lower levels of football, they have to be really careful, as you said, about making some of these decisions that get people out of the habits they were in. You could become more irrelevant or less relevant than you used to be. DG, uh, that very fact of uh, the group of five, I think it's a terrible – this whole thing is a, a huge mess that college football, the powers that be, have created for themselves. If you, I, I truly believe if they got their act together, they could be the number one sport in America. But the reason why the NFL gets it right is because they look at my uh, wonderful Washington football team. <laughs> they were terrible this year. They won the division. You're going to try for made- the cheerleading squad, Dave? Yeah, well, I'm not. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Um, but you, the very fact that they were a terrible team, they won the division. If you win the division, you're in the playoffs. If if East Carolina goes 12 and 0 with Mike Houston, which they can do because he's a great coach, they never have a shot. So that's the problem: is there is an elitism. There is a problem with uh, at least college basketball does get right with their tournament, and I give them credit for that. They have their own problems that we can. Uh, definitely talk about, and we have a question from Johnny Gardner here in a second. But uh, that very fact with uh, Power Five, Group of Five, has been a dumb thing. And actually, DG, they can make more money, and the executives for ESP and ABC, oh by the way, can make more money because there would be more games if you have an expanded playoff. Well, I think it's coming. I don't think it's going to come that expanded playoff until the conclusion of the current contract, which I believe still has at least maybe four or five years to run. But what's going to happen is this. A lot of people forget that the reason university presidents and chancellors went from decades of saying there is never going to be a playoff in the FBS level of college football. They've had philosophical reservations and it's a violent sport and it's even more violent at the highest level of football than it is at that FCS level or the Division II level. And we're just not going to put that extra burden on these student athletes. We heard that for decades. And then the economic downturn, and I'm not kidding when I say this, the economic downturn of 2008 caused so many beam counters and financial experts at the university level to look at declining endowments and less money available for athletics and everything else. And the next thing you know, in that financial crisis aftermath, those same university presidents and chancellors that were saying, heck no, heck no, no way said, how much will you pay us for that college football playoff again? And all of a sudden, they turn on a dime. And the next thing you know, we have a four-team format. Well, guess what? We're in the midst of another crisis right now. And a whole lot of universities 
and a whole lot of athletic departments lost a lot of money because of COVID. As a member of the sports media, I can tell you, I'm not exaggerating, the same jobs that I would be paid X for, I am being offered one third of X for. And I mean, these are from big companies. That That's a reflection of the fact that they have been hit hard. And when that hit hard trickles down to the university level, those same presidents and chancellors are going to say, how much were you willing to pay us to expand all the way to eight teams again? And at some point, they're going to say yes to that. And it is going to be a more fair system, a more inclusive system. And I think a better system, because as you said, when everybody, the last place team in the worst division one men's basketball conference still enters its conference tournament saying, Hey man, if we shock the world, we get the auto bid, right? Right. You could be the 330th, you know, the dead last, whatever that number is in the 300s. Theoretically, you have an avenue to the national championship as the 320-something. And, no, we're not going to have that in college football, obviously, but we, we need something better. No, it's 1983. Yeah, to me, to me, it's a simple answer. You you know, if we're going to eight, you take your five power five champions, you, you take your, your highest-ranked champion from the group of five and then two at-larges. I agree. have an 18 playoff. Boom. Sign me up right there. That is my format as well. Yeah, and you know no they still they still argue about the two at large and upset a lot of people and you know someone would that'll help us. Bit. Yeah, you know how it goes. It's, there's still going to be controversy, but that kind of controversy is actually good. Yeah, because yeah. It, it raises awareness and gets people all fired up, and then people are curious: what would that undefeated Cincinnati team do against so and so champion of this Power Five? That raises interest. So, I think well, they had Georgia beat. I really do. Yeah, they had Georgia beat, and uh, Luke Fickle's a great coach, but poor clock management is the only reason they lost that football game. No doubt. Let's uh, switch gears now, and uh, Johnny Gardner, one of our our listeners and viewers, DG, your thoughts on what Coach Dooley did to try and turn the tide this year uh, with ECU basketball. Steps in the right direction, um, but a long way to go, right? Uh, I do know this, a player that I know really, really well, the record on the court was not as good as they had hoped, obviously, Uh, but a player named Winston Tabs from Boston College is transferring to ECU. And I'm telling you, I've watched the guy closely. He was injured one year, but before the injury and then this past season, he had all ACC ability. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. And the ACC, not this year, obviously, it's not the best league, not even close. But many years, it is the best league. And if you can be an all-ACC candidate, you can do just as well in the AAC. So that he's a little bit of a a volatile personality. You know, Coach Dooley is going to have to harness his high-end talent. But he is a huge addition to the Pirates. And we all know you got to get players. Jaden Gardner is a is a superstar player, but he needs more help. And if you can get several players the caliber of a Gardner, well, now you're rising the ladder in the AAC. Really, one player like that with Jaden having another year, I mean, is that kid going to be eligible? The kid from BC, is he eligible next year? 
I'm not certain off the top of my head, but there's ongoing legislation that is going to allow everybody a right. one-time transfer without a penalty option. Every college student in every sport would be allowed to switch one time without yeah. a penalty, regardless of whether they were a grad transfer or whatever, or a conventional transfer. And I think that's coming. So I'd have to double check to see if he would be eligible either way. But I think he's going to be eligible for the Pirates, uh, one way or the other. Yeah, I don't like that rule. But in this case, obviously, I, uh, <laughs> it would benefit us. So, hey, I like it. No, I don't like the rule regardless. But I think it's going to create more havoc with people transferring. But the, the point is, one, it's not only football. One basketball player can make a difference. And for sure. You put him on the court with Jaden. You know, if, if he can keep the attitude in check, uh, that could be a difference maker. One thing that we have, uh, the biggest problem we have, DG, is uh, three-point shooting. The three-point shooting the last two years is the elephant in the room. So that's what we need is uh, guys that can, you know, as much as I love the uh, the front court, uh, the perimeter is where the game is, uh, that dictated, I think, by the NBA. But the three-point shooting is where the game is at. And when you don't have three-point shooting, there's so many games Kyle and I have talked about in Bubba that we're so close to winning the game. If you make two or three more threes, you win the game. And we don't make the threes, you're not going to win the game. I mean, it's just that simple. Well, look at it this way. You know, why has Carolina struggled this season? They made the tournament, but this is a down year by Carolina standards. There, there have been many UNC teams where they had four different guys who could hit threes. On that 13 scholarship roster, there was one guy who could hit threes. He's, he was freshman Kerwin Walton, and guess what? When you have only one guy who consistently hit threes, defenses are aware of that, and they start, you know, getting in that guy's grill on the perimeter. Duke, similarly, like Carolina, young guards, not as not as much three-point shooting. Duke also was horrible at defending the three-pointer on the perimeter. So your point is well taken, Dave. Your, your script there unfolded in Durham, in, in such a bad way that the Blue Devils missed the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1995. And it came darn close to jeopardizing Carolina's season. So you need good guards. And when you have freshman guards, the way the Blue Devils had two on the court a lot, the Tar Heels had two on the court a lot, it can be a roller coaster. And no matter what their age is, yes, at some point you got to hit threes because beating people going two plus two plus two plus two while giving up three plus three plus three, man, that, that's a tough road. DG, I'm going to have to drop out here. I have something I have to do. But before I go, would you quickly tell me your prediction for the Final Four and then give me a Cinderella to watch? Yeah, my championship game is kind of chalky so because I have number one seed Gonzaga beating number one seed Illinois. I really believe they are the two best teams in this field. They are absolutely loaded with college-caliber talent and pro-caliber talent. Gonzaga has three All-Americans in their starting lineup. So I think this is the year Gonzaga, which, remember, was runner-up to Carolina four years ago. This is Mark Few's other best team. So I know 15 years in a row he kind of made the tournament but didn't get past the Sweet 16. Uh, but in more recent years, he's had some Elite Eights and then that national runner-up. I think this is the year Gonzaga kicks the door down. And then I, I don't know if they would count as sort of dark horses or Cinderella's, but I, I like a three seed in Texas. I like a four seed in Purdue. 
So I, I, I went less chalky with my other two final four picks. Um, and I think UVA and, and Florida State of the ACC, while only four seeds, they're pretty good basketball teams. I just remind people when they're doing their brackets, almost 90% of the time, the national champion comes from the top three seed lines. So going in, that's 12 teams for a total, right? Four ones, four twos, and four threes. Almost 90% of we love talking about Cinderella, and sometimes Cinderella gets to the final four, but there aren't many glass slippers to go around when it comes to the national title. And, and uh, I, I think Gonzaga and Illinois are the two to watch, but man, there's a lot of others worth watching as potential dark horses. Oklahoma State's going to be fun to watch with Cade Cunningham. Um, Texas Tech is another interesting team that we've seen. They're not as good this year, but it's it's and I'll give you an 11 seed. I think Syracuse out of the ACC has a chance to make the Sweet 16. Um, yeah. I, I like Syracuse's road better than I like a four seed like Virginia's road or a Carolina would have to beat a really good Wisconsin team and then a really good Baylor team. So you could like the Tar Heels and still think they're not going to make the Sweet 16 because of their path. I think Syracuse is playing its best basketball at exactly the right time. And that Jim Beheim guy has taken some other teams that barely made the tournament and, and went a long way. So maybe he has some magic along those lines again. No doubt. It's, uh, it's going to be great, especially the, uh, the whole Indianapolis thing. Um, and the state of Indiana playing all the games. What are your thoughts on that? I was going to talk about that. So we'll go ahead. Now that uh, Kyle mentioned uh, the tournament, how, how do you like that? Well, I, I think it's one of those, like you see on the wall of a hotel, break glass in case of emergency. This was a break glass in case of emergency scenario, putting everybody in the greater Indianapolis area because it would have been too risky to do it a different way. And these guys are in lockdown. I'm fascinated, Dave, to see how young men, 18 to 22 years old, for the most part, they're not leaving the single floor of their single hotel. So if your hotel's having Wi-Fi problems that day, you know, these guys are already tweeting about it and going crazy. They don't get to see many people. Uh, in a case like Virginia, which has been on COVID lockdown, would you believe the Cavaliers have not practiced in eight days? They have not had a single basketball practice in eight days heading into the most important games of their season. So how is that going to play out? We don't know because we've never seen it during March Madness before. How is this Indianapolis setting going to play out? We don't know. How are these kids going stir crazy going to play out? We don't know. We've already seen some of the best officials in the game sent home because of COVID contact tracing. That's not a fun storyline to follow as much as people complain about the refs already. Uh, it's a guessing game. Will it be those heavyweights I talked about, or will we get some March Madness chaos just since everything else in our world has been so upside down for the last 12 months? I don't know, but I'm glad the NCAA took this approach. I certainly wouldn't want to see it this way in a normal year, but it right. minimizes the risk of us having to, you know, have buys during the NCAA tournament when one team can't show up. That's what we had at the ACC tournament. You know, the, you know, the number one reason I didn't think Georgia Tech could win the ACC title, they don't have any depth. If you don't have any depth, I don't think you can win three games in three days because those young men's bodies are used to right. playing on a Wednesday and then on a Sunday with plenty of time in between. 
Well, guess what? Georgia Tech didn't need to win three games in three days, as it turned out, because UVA had to forfeit. So they only had to win on a Thursday and then on a Saturday. And credit to them for doing it. I'm not trying to take away from their championship. But that doesn't change the dynamic a little bit. That changed the dynamic a lot. And we'll see. I hope there are no such scenarios in the big bracket. Uh, They're not going to have replacement teams, remember. So if your opponent can't field a team, you're on to the next round. Uh, Even if you're a 16 and it's the one seed that has to step aside. That's just so bizarre. But I guess uh, they're not willing. They were not willing to push the tournament back as I had wanted to May um, spreading out the games. But, you know, I understand it's a logistical nightmare now when you have the from that standpoint, if you're an administrator at a, at a university where you have all the fall sports and all the spring sports are pretty much. And then you have basketball that's pretty much like a in between, I guess, a winter sport. You have all those sports playing at the same time. And then with uh, with FBS, you have a situation where you have spring football going on uh, starting right now or it's already begun. So there's all these factors that are going on. I thought it was funny. One of the guys from East Carolina hit a home run and the guys were on the spring uh, football. They were on the uh, practice fields and they <laughs> see the fall, the ball come and right there on their practice field. So a lot of crazy stuff happening there. That, that's maybe a normal situation. but. Uh, I know situations right now where uh, one of my dear friends at my alma mater here locally at the high school level, they're going through a lot because if you have a situation with like me, the coming from a one, a school, every single kid has to play. They have a lot of, I can't even, there's so many sports at Williamston uh, where I live Riverside high school. They even have golf. I mean, they have so many sports they field every single year and they've never been in the situation before. I haven't even called. I need to catch up with the, Athletic director has been on the show before, Phil Woolard. I don't know how he's sleeping at night knowing that they're playing football right now. You have basketball, you have baseball, you have all these sports all at the same time. And uh, getting back to my point, in a real world, a perfect world, maybe you could push March Madness to make it like May Madness or something like that. But the real world, uh, that's not reality because you have all these sports going on. Yeah, it's trickier. There are a lot of good ideas that when you start to apply them, they can fall apart. How are the NBA prospects going to handle May Madness if, you know, their their school might finish its semester the first day of May? Right. Right. And then they're they're technically done with their academic year. I mean, I know baseball players deal with this all the time, but basketball players don't. So how would they have reacted to that? Uh, I don't know. This was making the best of a disaster scenario. So there were alternatives and they were all discussed, but I'm like you, I'm just crossing my fingers that we see games and not forfeits between now and, and somebody cutting down the nets. And let me ask you this question. As far as the, this weekend is the most challenging one with the number of games. And of course, 67 games, those of us who love college basketball, this is um, like, uh, like basketball and steroids. My, one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, but after this weekend, can they move the games around? They have more flexibility, right? Because you have, after this weekend, it's down to 16 teams. So you can move the games around or push it back a day or two, couldn't you? You could. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to handle that. I'm not sure they've announced how they might handle that. Okay. I, I think they're reserving the right to, to be a little flexible. But it's funny, to your original point, 
It is mathematically true. Everybody thinks this is a punchline when somebody says it, but it is mathematically true given what you described as these early days of the NCAA tournament. And I share your appreciation for those days. It's wall-to-wall basketball, right? I mean, in a normal year, you can tune in at noon and pretty much go 12-plus consecutive hours (laughs) seeing basketball for those first two days. It is mathematically true that the number of vasectomies scheduled in the day leading into the early days of the NCAA tournament. And I personally, I'm not joking when I say this, I once asked my dentist who told me that I needed my wisdom teeth out. I said, how long after you get your wisdom teeth out, are you coherent enough to watch a television program? And he said, well, it depends. You know, you'd either want to do the the surgery the day before, or you'd want to do it really early in the morning. So you'd be coherent enough to watch something by the afternoon. And I said, and I, and I also said, does it matter when, is this an emergency? What does it matter when I get my wisdom teeth out? And he said, no, just do it in the next few months. So I looked up the calendar and I picked the day right before the Thursday start of an NCAA (laughs) tournament so that, you know, my wife felt like she had to take care of me. Right. Instead of being mad that I was watching 24 hours of basketball I was recovering, right? I was technically a patient. So she's kind of my nursemaid. I'm kind of doing work, but I got a difficult surgery out of the way. And and the two days I was supposed to recover, I had the remote control in my hand and a beautiful wife that happened to be my nurse. So uh, that was one heck of a story way back when. No doubt about it. Uh, As far as, uh, as far as after the tournament goes uh, with, uh, with things financially speaking, I know we've mentioned that, uh, that um, they of course had to do the tournament this year because of the Olympic sports. Just want to get your thoughts. East Carolina has gone through a tough time. Uh, they're going to bounce back. I really believe that a lot of these, uh, these schools will eventually bounce back. Is there anything the NCAA can do outside of the, obviously the basketball tournament, everybody watching this knows and listening, the basketball tournament pays for a lot of the Olympic sports yeah. uh, for their yeah. seasons and helps out. Is there anything the NCAA can do to help out? I know the American, we had, uh, there was a press conference on Sunday with Commissioner Mike Oresco from the American. The American has helped out their partner schools, the member schools. Is there anything um, generically the whole NCAA can do to help out, um, say if it's East Carolina or any other school in the nation when it comes to financial help? Well, one thing they did was to, to at least minimize the big blow that everybody took last year was they did have a pretty good insurance policy. So even though the NCAA tournament was not played, and and for those who don't know, it's about a billion, almost a billion dollars a year. I mean, that is one heck of a line item in your annual budget. They They missed out, of course, on that billion, but they collected several hundred million because of a, uh, an insurance policy. They also have emergency funds. I'm not, aware in detail exactly how the it's almost like a rainy day fund that a family might keep as a nest egg in case of job loss or you know a medical emergency or whatever the ncaa does have that as well but there's no um you know even some of those things require you know being paid back Uh, so I'm, i'm not aware of any magic wand you know to to make these financial issues go away and you're right. It's the the mid-sized schools and the and the smaller schools that have been hit really, really hard because some of the wealthier schools 
have tapped into their rainy day fund to try to get them through these times. And some of these other schools just don't have much of a rainy day fund. That very thing is that uh, people are going to just have to find a way to, um, I think, be patient. And we're going to have to deal with, uh, it's not great to be in deficit spending. Um, don't talk to the federal, federal government about that. Um, but as far as the college is concerned, they're just going to have to deal with the next year or two being in a deficit because it's going to take some time. For example, um, for all the people that say they're Pirate fans, make sure you get your shot because we want you and Dowdy Ficklin. I wanted to talk to you about um, one of the things before we let you go. I appreciate your time tonight a lot um, is the very fact of the capacity. I, he I heard, I don't know if this is true, so I'm going to say it's a rumor. Um, that they are going to, um, I heard this last week, that hopefully if things continue to go the way they are, that we'll be at 50% capacity. If that is true, um, that bodes well for those of us in the fall that want to see us somewhat close to back their normalcy when it comes to Dowdy Flick, Ficklin, if it's Keenan Stadium, if it's Carter Finley, if it's Wallace Wade, if it's in Boone, uh, wherever it is, we'd love to see the numbers go back up as far as college football. Yeah, and I think there's a good chance of it unfolding that way. As they always say, you know, they reserve the right to change their mind. And vaccines are going into arms at a pretty good rate right now, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, hospitalizations and other indicators in a lot of the country also have been going down. It varies from place to place, obviously. But that's a very realistic scenario, the way it's been described to me, that some people are describing it as athletic directors who are optimistic are saying, we believe it's going to be 50%. And if trends are good enough and there are enough vaccines and, and there's enough of a green light from the CDC and other federal authorities that maybe you can even inch higher than 50%. Uh, but you know how it is. We're, we're talking in the month of March. They're going to reevaluate this in the month of May. And then they don't really have to make a decision about college football season until right there in August. So who knows? By August, it could be a rosy, a really rosy picture. We could have, you know, there, there are entire nations like Italy that thought they were gaining momentum and then took five steps backward. I certainly hope that's not the case with us, and I don't think it will be. So it's a guessing game. That's what it is right now. And, and you and I could be talking on August 1st. And we still might not be 100% sure of what the rules are going to be. And that's hard on these schools because they want to sell season tickets, right? People don't wait until August 31st to decide, you know, whether they're going to buy season tickets. So it's complicated. It's, it's, it's alienated a lot of fans. You know, where, why is that person getting to renew his or her season ticket? Right. But I'm, I'm not high enough on the list. The, the greater the capacity, the less hurt feelings there are among these fan bases. And, and right now, you know it, these athletic departments need all of their fans to be at their most loyal because financially speaking, they need them as much as they've ever needed them. And DG, if you were doing your uh, statewide show, one of the games you'd be talking about in Lego August, uh, Labor Day weekend, there's a huge game with App State. I technically think it's the home game at East Carolina at Bank of America Stadium. That is going to be a huge game, and I really want to. I, I know that it may not be seventy-four thousand people there because of uh, normal times, ticket prices, that sort of thing. But that Thursday night game is going to be one of the first games for the twenty-one season. Yeah, and with two proud fa fan bases, in-state rival, and a great city with a lot of things to do, 
I really believe I'll be one of uh, many people there, and I'm hoping that we can have be great that day, that night. I have covered a lot of games in Charlotte, college football games at Bank of America Stadium, and it's one of my fun, most fun things to do, whether it's been these ACC football title games or some of those intersectional games, you know, South Carolina is representing the SEC and a North Carolina or an NC State or a Virginia Tech is representing the ACC. Uh, the Belk Bowl, of course, is another example of that. It's, it's just a blast. And in this particular case, you're right. It's the proud program in the western part of our state against the proud program in the eastern part of our state. And they don't meet each other all that often but they both have famously passionate fan bases in football. So those are two colors that I don't get to see collide very often. Uh, and it happens to be where, where my son is in school against where my daughter is in school. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, so you got an, an extra, an extra layer of complexity for us at the Glenn family. So does that mean DG will be going for one team and the lovely intelligent Maria <laughs> will be going for another? Y'all split. It's funny. Uh, John Grisham, the, the legal thriller author is uh, married to a Carolina girl, but lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, and sent his own son to play baseball at UVA. So when UVA played Carolina at the Smith Center, where John oh, Grissom and his wife have uh, season tickets, his joke was that he rooted for Mississippi State, which was his, uh, his legal alma mater, because he didn't want to alienate either the uh, Cavalier fans or his wife or his son or the Tar Heel fans that he sat near every year. So he just kind of took a pass on the whole thing while he watched the game. He was there, but he just wasn't rooting for anybody. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that. We'll see. At that point, Anthony will be a graduate of ECU and uh, Avery will be a sophomore at App State. But yeah, we're we're neck deep in both of those. You, you'll see a lot of those colors all over the Glenn household right now. So I'll have to do more thinking about exactly how we're going to handle that. No doubt. And I saved the toughest question for you for last before we let you go. And that is any updates on where we can hear you. We had Richard Allsbrook, oh, for those just tuning in and listening, uh, we had Richard Allsbrook, who was obviously a fan of East Carolina, fan of our show and fan of the DG show, wanting to know where you're going Uh have you had? I know you're. It's a tough time right now financially with these institutions, as far as uh, the media is concerned. Have you had any more progress where we could hear you every single day, or more than one, uh, maybe once a week? I can tell you that I've told all the people that are my partners, uh, part-time partners or uh, long-time partners in some cases. I want to figure things out by August of this year. In other words, right now, I love teaching at UNC Wilmington and getting experience in the academic world, which I think is going to remain part of what I do. You know me. I've been a lawyer. I've been a writer. I'm an editor. I've been a business owner. I'm a radio host. So I've got, I wear a lot of hats and I want to keep wearing a lot of hats and I want university level teaching to be a new hat that I keep. But in terms of uh, radio and writing, I'm talking to the athletic about the possibility of kind of returning to my roots most people think of me first as a radio guy and second as a writer and an editor. In my 20s, I was a writer and an editor and an attorney, and I was secondarily a radio guy. So my, my career kind of got turned upside down. So in a good way, I, was, I mean, I'm happy about it. The, the Athletic and I 
are, are talking about the possibility of me being more 80% writer and editor and 20% podcaster. So it would be the, the flip back to what I was doing as a younger man. That's just one possibility. Syndicating a radio show right now is really, really challenging financially. And I can't say that I'm optimistic about rebooting a statewide version of my show right now. I wish if I was optimistic, I would share that with you. It's not a closed door, but given that a lot of my potential partners have lost millions of dollars, uh, some of them are just hesitant to try something new uh, or different along those lines. So I'm doing some things outside of sports, in politics and in law. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an investor in an energy company that I help with communications and public relations. So those are more hats I'm wearing. Uh, but I, I yeah. just, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, when we chat again next time, maybe I'll have more updates. But for now, I'm, uh, I'm still exploring everything. And I'm, I'm actually glad that I told everybody months ago, I really don't want my next thing in sports media until this coming August. Uh, and that gives them time to recover financially. It gives me time to explore all these other things. And, um, you know, if I jump back in, it'll, it'll be in the month of August, which January starts the calendar year. But I've always thought that August starts the sports year because the NFL is back. College football is back. You know, other sports are heading into the playoffs. Baseball's, you know, really ramping up, et cetera. So we'll see. Uh, but I probably won't have clarity on that for the, until uh, a couple months down the road. And those of you know DG, he's got to have a sabbatical. You got to have your sabbatical in July anyway, right? Yes, so it's true. a kind of continuation of the sabbatical, and then by August coming back, you'll be uh, you'll be good to go. I've and always, uh, I've always taken as much of July off, even under normal circumstances, as I possibly could. And, and way back in the day, one of the coolest contracts I ever signed. I was a sports radio host for eight months out of the year, and then I was allowed to disappear and do other things for four months and then resurface in August to start a new eight, eight month cycle. That contract didn't last too many years, but man, I loved it while I had it. No doubt. We appreciate you so much and look forward to having you back on. And certainly uh, I tell you what, wherever you go, it's going to be fantastic. There's a lot of people they will follow you. I had another idea, but I know the, uh, I'll tell you later about that. I, I don't think it would ever work, but uh, I have my ideas, uh, as you know, and some are good and some are bad, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back on real soon. Always great to be with you, Dave. Keep up the good work. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You got it. All right, DG there, as we have a lot of fun talking to him, talking, of course, uh, everything tonight. We appreciate you so much. Uh, obviously, uh, Bubba is actually Team Disney right now. So uh, producing behind the scenes is me. And uh, he helped out tonight some. Bubba, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, by the way, we went along with DG, but we have uh, the coach Steve Holm. Uh, we have that interview up and we'll have that for you. You can look, you can find that on YouTube, uh, of course, uh, Facebook. Uh, a lot of places we'll have that up. And that's, of course, uh, the head coach of Illinois State as they come in to take on the Pirates. That'll be this weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So make sure that you uh, check that out. Illinois State, a uh, really good program. They won the Missouri Valley. Uh, two years ago. In fact, I was so close to being right. I was wrong, but Louisville, they had Louisville on the ropes and they could have done that. And then uh, East Carolina would have been hosting its first ever region, super regional in Greenville. And it, it almost happened, but it didn't. 
And uh, but anyway, we'll talk to. I had a chance to sit down with him this week as they get ready. The Pirates are going to be taking. Hopefully, can bounce back uh, against the Redbirds. We'll see how that uh, takes place. And we appreciate all that they do um, as far as uh, college baseball is concerned. We appreciate uh, the Pirates, and uh, we appreciate Illinois State. Uh, a lot of great uh, coaches come on our show. Uh, you can't always say that about every single sport, but we appreciate uh, the time uh, with Coach Holm. want to uh, give a shout-out to pgxgloves.com as they uh, look out for us, and I want to thank them for uh, helping us with uh, – my very own son, Alexander, pgxgloves.com. They have custom baseball gloves. They have batting gloves, personalized stuff, youth uh, football gloves. I have my golf shirt on right now. They have golf gloves, swag, a lot of cool stuff. Uh, make sure that you check out uh, them. Want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Next Level. Uh, we're talking ECU baseball right now. So I want to uh, give them a uh, hello to Trent Brett and Gaynell. Uh, Brett, they have been really good to this show and really good to the uh, the podcast, and we appreciate them very much. Go to nextleveltc.com, nextleveltc.com, and you can find out all the information. on. The, and also, they have a great Facebook page. I'll have to check that out tonight. I used to look at that uh, every day or two, but they have a lot of uh, cool stuff up there about former players and current players and what they're up to, and we appreciate them uh, so much. All right, coming up Sunday night at 7, it's going to be extra innings brought to you by Next Level. We'll have uh, Corey Glore. Uh, we'll have him on and we'll have your comments and suggestions, maybe whatever you'd like to talk about, uh, about that. And we'll do that and so much more. Thanks to David Glenn, our great guest. We want to thank also Bubba Rosenbaum once again, behind the scenes, making a little bit of a cameo. And also Kyle Barber being in the first half of the show. Thank you very much. Until next time, you've been watching and listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Good night, everybody. And go Pirates.